we've got a nice full house again today. Huh? It always looks like this side's going to tip over, though, because nobody ever fills in. <laughs> but, you know, if you, uh, if you guys saw my email earlier this week, then you saw that, at least unbelievably to me, our sermon podcast is, for whatever reason in God's providence, uh, being picked up now all over the globe. I, I just can't believe it myself. Uh, but particularly right now in, in two very dangerous uh, places uh, in Ukraine. And we had, unbelievably, two people listening, uh, or I'm sorry, in Afghanistan, and two people listening in the Ukraine, uh, which I, I find really fascinating. But, uh, and, and to our brothers and sisters who, who are evidently listening to us there so far away, we want to extend uh, to you our brotherly greetings. And so if you'll all, all join me, uh, nice and loud, so my mic picks it up. I, I want to uh, have us wish them grace and peace in Jesus Christ. So, grace, grace and peace, and peace in, Jesus Christ. in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that it's at least some small comfort um, to you who are listening so far away uh, to know that you're, you're thought of and you're prayed for here in America. And that we are trusting uh, you to God's providence uh, and that your faith is really a lesson and example to us here who in so many ways are really very insulated from the things that are going on in the world, right? Um, I mean, yes, we have our supply chain shortages uh, and add to that the ridiculous price of gas uh, and, and unprecedented inflation, but praise God, we're still safe in our own homes, Amen. right? Uh, and, and we're still safe to walk the streets, Right for the most part, uh, we're still we're still safe. Praise God to meet for worship. Right, but but did you ever stop to think what it would be like if that weren't the case? Right, if there were right now, uh, as we sit here, people who wanted to kill us because of who we are, uh, or because of what we believe about our Christian faith, um, and and that you were in a situation where you had to ask yourself, who can I trust right now? Uh, where do I need to turn for help? Uh, where, where do I run for safety? Because, church, we have brothers and sisters around the world right now that have to think about that question every moment of every day. Uh, and by their faithful witness in the face of adversity and their unshakable commitment to continue to meet for worship, uh, regardless of their immediate surroundings, they've proven that they have an answer to that question. And, church, that answer is Jesus. Uh, the same Jesus that we're going to see in Scripture today uh, who never backed down from a good fight. The same Jesus who never backed down from the devil uh, when the devil came to tempt him in the wilderness. Uh, the same Jesus who never backed down from the demons who desired to remain and keep tormenting the people that they had possessed. Our Jesus who never backed down from the Pharisees and Sadducees who didn't like what he taught and how he preached. Uh, and he never backed down from the oppression of the civil government that tried to stifle the fledgling church. And we're going to see all of that today in our text from Luke chapter 13. So I hope you're following along in your own Bibles. I know it's on the screen, but I, I try to remind you guys as much as I can. It's a very important to see it in your own Bible in front of you. Uh, and I'm going to be reading to you Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. Luke tells us, uh, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, meaning to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, 
Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, that's the word of the Lord to us today. And let's pray. God, our Father, uh, we thank you for the faithful witness of your son and his work and his testimony in this world. And so, Father, we ask that uh, in just these next few moments that we have together, that you would uh, allow us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that you would dispel any distractions or preoccupations or worries about the world we may be thinking about, uh, and, and keep us focused on you and on your message, because we want to see Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. So you can see in today's gospel lesson as it opens, uh, really with the realization that our Lord is living on the edge of danger, right? Uh, controversy is swirling all around him. His outspoken style and his constant challenging uh, of the established order have drawn the attention of some powerful people. And now Jesus has an ever-increasing number of enemies uh, who are in the habit of killing people. If you remember, uh, his cousin John the Baptist had just been beheaded, and now John's murderer, King Herod, had apparently set his sights on Jesus. And so he's approached by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees, uh, with a warning. Uh, now Luke doesn't tell us whether these particular Pharisees were really sincere uh, in their concern or not, because, you know, as we know, most of them hated Jesus, right? Uh, but he did have a few who followed him secretly, like Nicodemus. So we don't really know whether these Pharisees just wanted to uh, get him out of Galilee with some kind of scare tactic or uh, if they approached him out of genuine concern. But either way, these guys come to Jesus with a message, and that message is, Jesus, uh, get out of town because Herod wants to kill you. But Jesus has a message of his own, doesn't he? And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. And nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And so he says, I'll go, but I'll go when I'm ready. Because I've got work to do. And when I go... Uh, I'm going up to Jerusalem to die on purpose. So, no, I'm not scared that Herod wants to kill me here. And by the way, uh, Herod can't lay a finger on me because I'm not going to die one moment before God wants me to. Right? He said, my job is to perform cures and to proclaim the gospel, and I'll do that today, and I'll do it tomorrow, and I'll do it the next day without the dark shadow of Herod's interference because my life is providentially in God's hands. And, and church, if you don't catch anything else from the message today, you have to at least recognize the faithful confidence of Jesus in the face of this threat by Herod. And perhaps even what might have been a veiled threat uh, on behalf of the Pharisees. Right? It's absolutely astounding, isn't it? And why is that? 
Because Jesus trusts in the Father's providence more than in the power of men. And so he's not afraid. And the good news is today that for those of us who are in Christ, we have that same privilege, and church, we need to start using it. Because the world, if you haven't noticed, is an increasingly threatening place. But today's gospel lesson challenges us to emulate the example of Jesus by living our lives with the same courage and resolve that he did. Uh, instead of constantly pulling back in fear. Because the truth is, if we're really honest, some of us like to live in fear. We, we've gotten used to it, right? Because quite simply, it's easier, uh, much easier to, to watch the news all day and and wring our hands over the woes of the world than it is to, to quit being afraid and maybe come out to Wednesday night Bible study for some godly encouragement. Uh, it's easier to lay awake all night and fret and worry over our poor health so we're too tired to come out to public worship on the Lord's Day and meet with the great physician for an infusion of faith. Uh, it's easier to rehearse our problems over and over again to anyone who will listen than it is to take the plain advice of Scripture uh, and stop being frightened to do something about them. The church is easier to, to numb ourselves with, with food and, and drink or drugs to distract us than it is to engage in prayer and to seek to advance the kingdom through courageous spiritual warfare. It's easier to uh, make sure through endless entertainments that there's never one single silent moment in your day to be alone with the Lord and to open his word. And church, worst of all, it's easier to just be silent than it is to speak out and boldly proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ over every inch of creation and only area of our and every area of our lives. Uh, just like our Lord Jesus did. Like he did when he stubbornly refused to shrink back from his mission or to shy away from publicly calling out government officials who opposed it. And church, we are called to do the same today. We are called to do that same thing in every sphere of influence where God places us. And honestly ask ourselves, are we really doing anything for the kingdom that could possibly incur the attention, much less the wrath uh, or displeasure of someone in authority? Are we living in any kind of way that sets us apart from the culture? Any way that puts us at odds with the mainstream? Or are we content to just kind of shuffle along in the shadows of life and stay on the sidelines of the kingdom? It makes you think, right? In the little uh, country church I grew up in, there was a, uh, a, a chalk slate sign on the side wall that said, and you probably heard this, if you're on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And just being seen in the church building is only circumstantial and wouldn't be admissible in court. Uh, and church, this isn't just tough advice for congregations. It's not just for the people in the pews. I've got to look myself in the mirror when I preach this message, too, and realize uh, in the words of one Reformed church blogger uh, who wrote, the problem with Christian preachers today is that no one wants to kill them anymore. <laughs> right? Did you, did you ever think about that? Right? And don't get me wrong, I'm not looking to get killed uh, any more than you are probably really looking to be persecuted for your faith. But we have to ask ourselves, are we at least willing to be? Are we at least willing to be? Can the world around us and more importantly, the people closest to us see anything in us that's becoming more like Christ in his kingdom and less and less like the culture? Or, or are we, as my Sunday school teacher used to say, uh, trying to be secret agent Christians? 
In fact, honestly, that, that's one of the church's greatest challenges is the manner in which so many people have, uh, have more or less privatized their relationship with God. <clears throat> in fact, <clears throat> excuse me, we're, we are practically indoctrinated to do that. Right? By, by the, the world to, to, to privatize our faith, indoctrinated by people with uh, either a misguided misunderstanding of the original meaning of the separation of church and state, or, or by people that tell us, like, you know, it's okay to believe whatever you want to as long as you keep it to yourself, right? And keep it out of your school and out of your work, right? Until now, most Christians have what one author described, he said, uh, have a tendency to disconnect their faith from all the other ordinary activities that put them in regular contact with their neighbors and from the larger structures of their neighborhoods. Privatizing their faith, and I love this part, he says, and keeping it as just a leisure time activity that they participate in only part time. Right? Which is a major reason why so many people these days feel absolutely no need to go to church anymore or to participate in a Bible study group or to plug themselves into any form of Christian community but kind of just go their own way. And please don't mishear me. It is absolutely vital to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ, right? A deeply personal relationship with Christ is the bedrock of our assurance of redemption and sanctification. But nowhere in Scripture are we called to have a private faith, right? Just look at anyone who had a genuine and heartfelt connection and faith in Jesus. And what do you find? is that faith always made its way out of their mouths and into a public profession, always. Uh, even when he told people not to talk about him. Right? So is our Christian faith personal? Of course, it's deeply personal. Your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with him and it belongs to you and to nobody else. But is your Christian faith private? Well, only if you're too afraid or too ashamed to share it. Only if you're living in fear rather than faith. Only if you're maybe embarrassed of the master you claim to have chosen because the most natural thing that a person who believes and trusts in our triune God to do is to confess and proclaim him. Romans 10 says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it's with the heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved as scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame which was exactly the point of our Lord's bold defiance of Herod and his stubborn insistence on completing his mission because he was not afraid. He was not ashamed. And he was ready to do the work of the kingdom that always leads to passionate, purposeful, self-sacrificing love for others. Which is, which is exactly like the reason that Jesus said, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And he wept over the city. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets... And stones those are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Now that may sound like kind of a soft metaphor after such tough talk for Jesus to compare himself to a hen gathering the chicks. Uh, 
But as a kid who raised several breeds of chickens and, and a bunch of other types of game birds, I can testify to you, there are some mama hens you don't want to mess with. <laughs> right? Uh, so, some, of the, some of them can be very territorial when they have little ones to hatch or to protect. And not only can they be fierce when they need to be, but they are undyingly faithful in brooding over their eggs until they're hatched and then in generating warmth for their baby chicks until they're fledged. Um, and you know, that messianic imagery is all through the scriptures. That's why Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In Psalm 91, 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faith will protect and defend you. Now, now compare that image to the image of Herod as the fox, right? Foxes are, are sly, right? Foxes are, are predatory. Foxes are dangerous, right? Foxes is the trickster. Foxes take, right? They don't give. And so when Jesus refers to Herod as a fox, it's not a compliment. Jesus is calling out Herod, who is supposed to be the leader and the protector of his people, as someone who is devious and cunning, someone not to be trusted, someone not interested in the genuine welfare of others. That sounds a little bit like some of our current politicians, doesn't it? Because the fox takes advantage of others for personal gain with no qualms about it. Right? And we see that pattern happening all around us, don't we? Right? We see it in our political and economic realms in society. And we see it in individual people, people taking advantage of others and, and preying on them. Our government uh, using policies and practices that cause harm and destruction. We see the steady cultivation of fear and intimidation by those who would see God's people attacked and controlled and carried off like prey. And so the contrast between kings and kingdoms couldn't be more obvious. Between our King Jesus who shields and protects and calls men and women into the community of the church and Herod who along with his father the devil threatens and scatters people until they find themselves weak and separated cornered and easy to capture and so in the metaphor of the men and women in Jerusalem and, and by extension you and I here today as being those little chicks uh, as if we don't find our ultimate shelter under the wings of the almighty our only alternative is destruction right? I mean think about it little chicks don't survive long in the company of wolves and, and as for Jesus you can tell by his demeanor today, as far as he's concerned, the predators of this world can tag him with any pejorative they want to. They can call him a fraud, call him a glutton, call him friend of sinners. Folks, the world can call him a chicken for all he cares, but he doesn't flinch. He's our Messiah, who, as one author said, never feared or flattered the face of any man, but followed the path that the Father laid out for him, even though it led straight to the cross and to its place on the cosmic stage of Mount Calvary, where in the presence of all the assembled men and angels and despots and demons, he demonstrated the greatest feat of strength ever witnessed on planet Earth, and he accomplished it in spite of how it may appear to the watching world. He accomplished it through the apparent weakness of his death on the cross for our sake. His death has set us free from the fox den of this world, and it's because of that that the Bible says in Colossians 2, See to it now that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, 
according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith is the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to public shame by triumphing over them in him. In Jesus. And so, church, the power of the hand to which Jesus compares himself is not the power of stealth or of fear or of cunning or even a brute force. No, his power is that which shields the vulnerable and protects the weak. And that comes in his willingness to place himself between his children and anything that would threaten them. And so, for you that are here today and for all those who may be listening to all my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to remind you that you and I are surrounded today by the love of God. We're shielded by the wings of Christ. We're gathered near his heart and it's from that place of strength that you and I are sent back out into the world as agents of his grace and of his peace in this dark and scary world that we're in. And like Jesus, we have a job to do. And we have a message to share and we have a mandate to proclaim the good news of God in Jesus Christ and to say, as he would have us say, uh, repent and believe the gospel. That's his command to all men and women at every time and place. Repent and believe the gospel of salvation. And to all others, hopefully no one here, but to any who are listening who are outside the kingdom uh, to you who may prefer the allure of the fox den over the safety of the nest, well, quite simply, uh, it's my job to tell you, you don't have any hope. You don't have any hope in this world or the one to come. And you have a lot more to be afraid of than just being caught by a predator, uh, whether it's the wild animal type or the wily politician type or even the wickedest of demons, because it's not ultimately any of them that you have to fear. Yes, Jesus came to defeat the work of the world and the flesh and the devil, but the most frightening thing, church, that he came to save us from was from the wrath of a holy God. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is just take your finger and go one chapter back in the lectionary text from where I read to you today, as our Lord himself warns his men in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so, yes, we are saved from the guilt and from the power of sin. But, church, more significantly, we are saved from the just wrath of a holy God against our sin and our cosmic rebellion. And so, if you don't know that peace, if you don't know that your sins are forgiven today, if you've never run to the safety of Christ for shelter, don't wait. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Do it while it's still today. Because church, you know, only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. Amen. Only the mercy of God can gather someone home. Only the mercy of Jesus Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit can open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears and soften hard hearts. But it's my job and it's your job to make the offer. And so now you've heard it. And so receive it today. 
wherever you are. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down this aisle. You don't have to sign a commitment card. All you have to do is say, God, I need a Savior. Thank you for sending me one in your son. Lord, Lord I, I need you to come and find me where I am because I can't get to you on my own. But blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He can do it. He's the one. So call me to yourself and gather me to you in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your faithful son who was willing to come into this world to live and to die and ultimately to rise again so that we have the opportunity to run to you for safety. And Lord, uh, it's a scary world out there. Uh, it's a scary world in some of our own personal lives. And so, Lord, uh, whatever each of us are facing today, I ask, Lord, that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we know uh, that we can run to you for safety, that we can run to the shelter of the cross, that we can run to the wings of our Savior. And so, Father, we ask uh, that if there's even one today that's hearing this message that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, by the holiness of your love, uh, and draw them to yourself, Lord, so that uh, your kingdom may be advanced and your name may be glorified through Christ our Lord. Amen.